0: In this episode of the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast, I feature gallery owner and founder Ivy Jones. Brooklyn-based Well and Cora Gallery was founded in 2002. Ivy holds a BA in political science from Hampton University and a MA in public administration from Clark Atlanta University. She is a native of Brooklyn, New York. The gallery name is an amalgam of the names of Ivy's parents and older brother. In 2014, the gallery mission and programming were updated to reflect a greater focus on contemporary art and criticism. The broader mission of the gallery is to represent artists from around the world by placing their work with individual collectors and institutions, publishing scholarly exhibition catalogs and monographs. From time to time, guest curators, and writers of color are invited to mount exhibitions and contribute essays about the shows on view. The gallery is located in a 19th century brownstone in Bedford-Stuyvesant, Brooklyn, New York. I should also mention that Well and Cora Gallery participated in both the Armory New York City in 2021, as well as Art Basel Miami in 2021. Enjoy this episode of the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast featuring gallerist Ivy Jones welcome ivy to my cerebral women art talks podcast i am excited to feature you
1: hi phyllis it's great to be here
0: i haven't interviewed many gallery owners so i'm looking forward to our talk when did you first become interested in art
1: yeah i um i took a photography class during i think it may have been my sophomore year in high school and um It was very, very inspiring. And I can remember, you know, this is probably gonna sound like really crazy, but we were learning about Ansel Adams in this photography class. And I thought, oh my God, this is just, his work is just so amazing. So photography was sort of an easy entry point for me because like so many other Black families, my family documented like everything through photography, you know, every family milestone, every birthday, every holiday. You know, I grew up around tons and tons of photos. We had photos of my great grandparents and their siblings and was, um, you know, was my entry point and my sort of introduction During this time when I took this photography class, I was very, very, you know, in addition to being sort of inspired by the imagery, I was also attracted like to the camera as like this object and the functionality of the camera and how you could create these different combinations of f-stop and shutter speed that would still sort of yield the same exposure and so all of that like fascinated me as a kid, you know, how this this object worked and how even during like the printing process, you know, once your film is 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 developed and you go to the dark room and you you know, expose it to light and it hits the paper and the paper is coated with this with this emulsion and then you put the paper in this this chemical, you know, and the chemical reacts to the the coating on the paper and then this image appears like magic so yeah so photography was sort of my um my entry point and one of my favorite uncles was into photography and he would take me out and we would go and we would photograph like different street scenes in the city and um i just have a lot of really good memories around photography
0: so how did you segue into opening your gallery in 2002? After I finished grad school in Atlanta and
1: I moved back to New York, I took a lot of art history classes at Hunter. And I took a photography class with Roy de Carrava. You know, I was still relatively young. I was in my in my 20s. And, you know, I took all these classes I didn't feel like, I mean, I thought mm, maybe perhaps I could be a photographer, maybe, but I didn't really see a way to sort of make that possible. I, I didn't, I didn't see how it could how it could happen and how I could make it work. And then I also didn't think I was good enough of a photographer. And so I didn't have the tools to sort of fight through that. And so running a gallery felt more comfortable for me. It was it was something that I thought that I could do more so than sort of pursuing a career as an artist. And so that's how it came about. I, I, I wanted to still sort of be, you know, close to art and around art. And so I decided that running the gallery would allow me to do that. And, you know, when I first started, You know, I had never worked for a gallery. I had never, you know, never had that experience. And so I really had to teach myself. You know, I had to do, I I did a lot of reading and, and watching what other galleries were doing and just trying to figure out sort of a way to make it work. And I made a lot of mistakes. Which is allowed. Yeah, it's allowed, but sometimes, you know, for folks of color, mistakes Aren't really allowed. <laughs> yeah. You know, we're we're sometimes we're sometimes we're not allowed to make mistakes. But in any case, so I made a lot of mistakes, you know, lost a lot of money. I started, I stopped, I started, I stopped. But all along, during that process of starting and stopping, you know, I continued to sort of remain informed. You know, I kept, I still kept reading and and watching observing and getting stronger mentally to be able to sort of continue. So yeah, that's that was the reason why initially you know I, I wanted to still remain close to art. I still I still enjoyed art and you know learning about the creative process that artists go through and and actually my brother is a is an artist. he has a, a MFA in photography from the School of Visual Art. And a couple of other artists, um, I have a couple of other family members who are also artists. So, And I, I, um, I got into it while I, you know, continued to educate myself throughout sort of this starting and stopping. I don't think anything can really prepare you for sort of actually doing the work that's required to run a gallery when you're not doing it. You know what I mean? When you're not actually doing the work, it's, it's hard to sort of envision what it is when you're not actually involved in it.
0: You said something a little earlier. Uh, you said you came back to New York and you decided to take art classes at Hunter. Mm-hmm. Why did you decide to take classes? I thought about
1: getting a degree in art history, actually. That was my initial sort of plan and i was working a full time job at the time so i was going to school at night i was taking these classes at night and it just got really really hard for me to to do both to work this full time job and to try to pursue this degree you know at night and i i stopped and i you know often i think about it and i really really regret that i that i stopped because i find that some of what I like about running the gallery is directly related to, you know, art history and curating and that sort of thing. And I just often wonder, you know, how things would have played out had I continued and gotten the degree in art history. Um, And it's not to say that I couldn't go back, you know, but, um, but yeah, my, my plan was to get a degree in, in art history, and maybe even also pursue a career
0: as a professional photographer on on some level. As a gallerist, what type of relationship do you like to have with artists?
1: Yeah, that's an interesting question. Yeah, I think it's important, well it is important for me to like, and like is such a vague word, but, I, it's important for me to be able to get along with and respect the artists that I work with and respect them in terms of, you know, their practice, but to also respect them, you know, as a as a human being, separate and apart from their talent and skill and ability and what have you. You know, it's it's very hard to get on the same page with people You know, and so it's important to be on the same page with the people that I work with, the artists that I work with, and sometimes it doesn't reveal itself. You know, it's just like any other relationship. You know, sometimes you know it may seem that you're on the same page, but then you know we're all sort of growing and and evolving, and and um, as a result of that we can find ourselves on two different pages (laughs) but ideally you know i I like to have a relationship with artists where we're we're on the same page we sort of understand each other and we're in agreement with how things are going to work as it pertains to
0: our relationship do those same rules apply to the relationship you have with collectors
1: yeah that's an interesting question i guess it i guess it does you know, I never thought about it that way, but I, I guess that it 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 does because you know I would imagine that collectors gravitate toward dealers or galleries that they feel like those folks offer something that that is consistent with what their vision is for their collection or how they want to go about building their collection. And once once it's determined that the vision is similar. Then, yeah, you, you you have a you're able to develop a relationship that's you know built on trust and and that sort of thing that that makes the relationship work. As a gallerist, there's a certain type of work that I'm drawn to. That's the work that I show. And so as a collector, you would have to be interested in that work and I guess in my temperament and my style in order to want to patronize, the gallery. Yeah, it's a
0: different perspective you have.
1: Yeah, I guess. I think whenever you are sort of, and this is just my perspective, you know, whenever you are looking to someone for advice or for guidance or, you know, or you're spending your money with someone, I would think you would want it to be with a person that sort of shares some of your your vision and your perspective on things. I mean, I I don't show a lot of figurative work in the way that some other galleries do. Um, I mean, I, I have shown figurative work, but I, I tend to, and it's, it's hard to sort of, even for me to pinpoint like where you would place my sort of taste in work that I show. <laughs> But it's very sort of, you know, it's definitely not what is sort of always trending. Like, I'm I'm not a person to show work that is, you know, extremely trendy. And so I think that I attract people or collectors to the space that appreciate what it is that I show.
0: You commented on your appreciation for photography. Right. Do you sense that collectors appreciate art in a different way? if it is photography versus a painting?
1: I think nowadays, I'm gonna say no. Nowadays, I don't think there's a difference in terms of the appreciation or understanding. I think that patronage, collecting, it's changed. And I think we're in a moment now where a lot of folks aren't as deeply sort of rooted in this idea of being like connoisseurs of art. And and it's not to knock anyone or any approach to collecting, but I question how deeply folks are thinking about the difference in collecting photography versus paintings. And I think perhaps once upon a time, folks thought more deeply about the difference but maybe not so much so now. I think now the approach to collecting has shifted a little bit away from the medium that you're collecting. And what has become more important is maybe who you're collecting. You know, are they black, are they white? Are they all of these other categories? But the focus I don't think is is on so much what it is in terms of the medium. And I also think that because you have a lot of artists sort of working in, you know, creating like mixed media or or working in multiple, they're multidisciplinary, you know, they're working in, in a number of different mediums. I think that has also sort of contributed to this sort of move away from focusing on being a collector of just photography or being a collector of just paintings and sort of drawing a line, you know, between the two. I think things have sort of become very sort of murky and what was once important isn't as important now.
0: How would you define Black art? That's interesting.
1: I think that Black art for me is not about the content, or what it is or the concepts that artists are dealing with, but I think that that it's about Black artists having a shared experience, and that shared experience is what defines the work as being Black art. And it, and it doesn't mean that we all have to have the exact same experience, but that some of what we've experienced is the same in terms of our experience being Black in America or throughout the diaspora. And as long as you identify as Black and you sort of have had these shared experiences or some shared experiences then, and you're creating the work that you're creating to me, I would define it as Black art. And I know folks you know shy away from that some folks shy away from it because it may be perceived as being limiting to define it that way but for me what makes it black art is if it's created by a person a black person and just by virtue of being a black person to me it becomes black art and it has nothing to do with what you're
0: saying in the work the gallery you've had a good year i see you've been in a couple big shows what are you most excited about now? What's the gallery up to? Who are you exhibiting? Share with listeners so they know.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So we're really excited about our current show, which is called Behold, which is on view until January 31st of 2022. And it's a group show, five artists, Oesa DuVernay, Sana Sama, Kamika Patton, Roberto Vasani and Chris Watts. In this show, we wanted to sort of deal with or move away from using the Black body to sort of make the point about the gaze on the Black body. And rather, you know, show work that sort of deals with the essence of a people, the essence of Black people. And so we have some wonderful, wonderful works in the show by Oesa DuVernay, um, whose practice sort of centers around... Um, signaling elements from nature or referencing elements from nature to signal the power that we sort of bring as a people, as opposed to using the body to do that. And then Chris Watts, we have some wonderful pieces from his Black on Black on Black series, some wonderful abstract pieces created out of resin, tempera, and silk fabric that pay homage to Elijah McLean, who was killed in Aurora, Colorado, at the hands of police officers there and first responders, and then Roberto Vassani has these wonderful, wonderful laser-cut drawings that reference very early slave imagery depicted by Hiram Powers and Josiah Wedgwood, and a wonderful, wonderful piece by Sana Musasama from her Maple Tree series, and some uh, another lovely piece by Kamika Patton that deals with her experience traveling to Africa for the first time and her response at her Americanness showing up so prominently on this first trip to the continent. And um, we're also very excited about a book project that we're working on for Helen Evans Ramsaran, who's an artist that we've been working with for a while now. We're going to self-publish our first monograph, and it'll be on her work, on her visual tale series, that, a portion of it that we showed at Art Basel just recently um, in December, Art Basel Miami Beach. So we're really excited about, about those projects, about you know working with Helen, about our current show. And we have a wonderful, wonderful show planned of work by Carl Hazelwood coming up in the next couple of months that we're really excited about.
0: Sounds great. Just listening to the artists that you've chosen, what do you feel is the role of the artist?
1: The role of the artist is to create the work.
0: (laughs) And I know that sounds really (laughs) simple. (laughs) But they've got to create the work. To educate us?
1: Yeah, to educate us. Yeah. But that comes after the work. You got to create the work first. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Got to do the work. You have to, they have to do the work. I mean, you know, also, you know, creating the work is also about sort of capturing this moment, you know, the the zeitgeist, to be the ones to sort of document what we're going through, what we're experiencing. The work becomes sort of this cultural document that future generations can come back to and look at and study and help them to sort of understand sort of what we were going through in that moment. Yeah, that's what I think the role of of the artist should be. To create the work and to document the times that that they're living in. And, you know, and to document those things that are important
0: to them. Do you have an opinion on the role of the trustee? Like with this, you know, post-Black Lives Matter movement?
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, in this sort of ecosystem that we call the art industry, I, I think, you know, the trustee plays a very, very important role in the functioning of the industry and how sort of the the canon is evolving, the art historical canon and who's sort of you know allowed in into that that canon or who reaches that status. The trustee, I think, or trustees are in large part sort of responsible for who sort of gets in. And I think that um, if we want to see a change, you know, if folks aren't satisfied with, you know, that model or the model that has sort of existed, that the way to go about changing it, for me, is, is for folks to come together and create their own institutions. And you know, we're starting to see some of that. We see it in um, Day Wiley creating BlackRock, the residency there and with Mark Bradford and his you know institution that he's building in California and the Black School, with Joseph Collier. So you know we're beginning to see folks in their own way creating institutions. And I think that that is a good way to create the kind of world that you want to see is to go out and create it. And again with the trustees and the institutions that have existed, you know, for years and years and years, I think all we can do is hope that that those folks continue to be interested in bringing about a change and being more inclusive and diverse in how they wield their power. But if we want to see change that is not so dependent on other folks deciding, then I think the best way to do that is to create our own, you know, institutions that reflect our mission and our, you know, what our goals are and just push forward in that way. I hope that answers the question.
0: It does. It's it's not an easy question to answer.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's not an easy question to answer, but I, I think that, you know, it's been documented how how much influence trustees can have on what work is sort of, is, is brought into the fold and what is elevated and what is deemed the best of the best. And so, like I said, I think the, the bigger issue is for folks to really start creating other institutions, and even with collectors, I mean, we've seen collectors creating their own museums, you know, and and doing things that are in line with their vision about how often work should be seen and whose work should be seen, and so we've seen it happen with collectors, and it's been and that's been happening actually for a while, and so as it pertains to Black Lives Matter or or any other movement, I think that creating institutions is definitely a viable alternative to, well, not even an alternative, but a viable addition to seeking more equitable and inclusive treatment by other institutions. In addition to that, we can create our own institutions and be
0: empowered in that way as well what a great interview appreciate your time this is our last question which is how do you want to impact the art world what do you want your legacy to be
1: yeah i think about that a lot in terms of my legacy and i think you know for me publishing these books you know publishing this book on helen and continuing to do that buying a space that i can operate out of outside of the brownstone that i'm in creating you know some sort of fund or foundation for young folks who might want to create their own galleries at some point you know those are the kinds of things that i think about when i think about my legacy and what i can do to leave a mark what I can do to stay sort of relevant and to have a lasting impact. It's like, I I feel like I have to leave something behind. I have to leave, I have to leave some things behind that people will be able to use and benefit from. And so the books, buying a space, you know, a, a bigger space, you know, that I own that I can pass on you know to to the next generation and also you know creating some kind of fund or foundation that provides resources for young black people that want to create galleries would be you know some of the things that i would want to do and some of the things that i am doing and some of the things that i think about a lot how can i leave a mark and you know those are some of the things that i've come up with you know, unfortunately, you know, we all have to die. we We all die. We all leave this place. And for me, it's important to leave something behind that can help somebody because this is a tough business. You know, it's a tough business. And for a lot of folks who have been able to succeed, they've been able to do so because they've they've had help, you know, in the form of resources. This is the kind of business where, it gets handed down from one generation to the next. And so if I can be of help in that way to somebody else who's coming
0: along, that would make me very happy. Thank you so much. This has been great. I appreciate your time.
1: Yes, thank you so much, Phyllis. This was wonderful. And, and thank you for including me. I, I think what you're doing is, is amazing and, and um, I hope it continues to grow.
0: Thank you for listening to Cerebral Women Art Talks Podcast. For additional content, please visit CerebralWomen.com and be sure to follow Cerebral Women on Instagram.